around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. One of the rare days where we're not on the road today. <laughs> just uh, just at home like we used to be all yeah. the time. One of the rare days where I look into the video chat and I see an open suitcase behind you. Yeah. But I know I know that this is not because you opened your suitcase and didn't unpack it. I know that that's because you're packing your suitcase for our next our next run of shows. This is going to blow some minds, especially yours. But I did not completely unpack my suitcase from last time. <laughs> did you not unpack because there's stuff that doesn't need to be taken yeah. out because it would just go right back in? You know what? So maybe that's cheating. Like yeah. the stuff that stays is going to stay. I took out everything that needed to be taken out. You're right. I'm me. I'm, <laughs> you didn't, I'm always going to be me. You didn't turn into not Adam. Right. You're still yeah. Adam. <laughs> yep. That's going to be a huge relief. Uh, you'll see over my other shoulder, I've got the merch bag already packed. Oh, man. Stuffed to the brim. A merch bag that I, I predict will basically be empty by the time we're done with Brooklyn and Boston and DC, which I guess I know it. we will be as of the release of this, right? Yeah, this episode will be the week of our Atlanta show. Wow. Putting Boston, Brooklyn, and DC in the rear view. Future me is going to come back from from tour with an empty suitcase. Uh, yeah. I won't even have to unpack it. <laughs> That's the dream right there. <laughs> yeah, friends of DeSoto will unpack my suitcase. Yeah, yeah, they'll do that for you. Not a chance. We made up this one. Do you want to talk about some stories from the road, Adam? Oh, yeah, it's time for uh, a tour story catch up. <laughs> This is a tour story. Tour story. Of two podcasters. Welcome to the greatest generation. Who chose to leave their house, go on the road, and do their show in front of an audience. To find out what happens when things stop being edited and start getting real. The tour world. What was notable for you about our time in Portland and Seattle? Uh, not nearly dying in a taxi cab was uh, was great. Yeah, uh, anytime you can avoid death by the highway, you got to take that opportunity, right? Yeah, I don't know if we actually told that story, but uh, in Toronto on our way to the airport, the back left tire of our cab wrapped around the axle of the taxi and the guy kept driving. <laughs> He drove for so long. I'm glad we can tell the story on the show now because we told it on stage. Yeah, I guess so. But holy moly, I've never been in a car with a flat tire before. And so I wasn't exactly sure that's what we were feeling. Were you sure? I was pretty sure. But I I think that it feels really different at highway speed versus uh, driving around city streets speed. I guess I was going about 65 tops. Seven. Seven miles an hour. Yeah. And uh, this guy really, like, like I looked at the rim of the, of the, uh, of the wheel after we got out of the car. <laughs> he, he had ground maybe an inch of metal off. 
<laughs> oh no! Like he was grinding rim. I'm I'm sure we had a rooster tail of sparks coming off the back of that car. It was five in the morning when we finally got out of the car on the side of the highway, and I didn't have the heart to. Uh, it was the driver's side rear wheel, and I didn't want to get out on that side because. Like semi trucks were driving by at freeway speed. <laughs> was, you you took a peek, but I didn't have the heart to. I was too scared. Yeah, I don't I don't care if I live or die. And normally, when I stop people, they pull onto the shoulder. <laughs> so there we were on the side of the road with with uh, Toronto Pearson Airport, like achingly close. Yeah. Like we could have walked there had there been any ability to walk there. So we had to call a ride share from the side of the highway. To make it the last half mile, right? Yeah, it was uh, it, it was that close. It was like, I mean, it was it was really absurd. And we also like were pretty close to missing our flight. Yeah, I mean, it was just like it, it was a busy airport. You know, it was a there were a lot of lines, and and you go through customs on the Canada side at right. that airport. So, oh, and this totally glosses over the way that uh, that Adam Pranica tour booker <laughs> fucked us over on the travel <laughs> because we've been keeping it super tight. Ordinarily, I feel like you and I would take an extra day where we could in a place like Toronto yeah. and like have a good time with our buddy Chris Bowman or or what have you. But like we've been arriving as late as possible and leaving as early as possible. And in no other city have we had so little time than Toronto. So yeah. after four hours of really bad drunk sleep <laughs> we were up and experiencing this this horror show by the highway i can get her up to as good as 155 maybe the best thing that has ever happened to the friends of desoto is that we didn't have to record any sh episodes of our shows <laughs> that week because <laughs> i i feel like yeah. we're two weeks out from that as of this record and i feel like i'm still kind of catching my breath from that that part of the tour yeah, I mean, we would not be able to tour without Wendy producing the show. That's for sure. Absolutely true. I'm, uh, I, I am ha happy to report that Portland and Seattle were much easier on our birdies and <laughs> yeah. uh, also really fun shows. We've had really just fun shows every single night of this tour. I hesitate to say that for fear of like inviting the bad show. <laughs> I mean, every tour's got one, right? <laughs> yeah, but it has really, really been a great experience so far, and the shows have been totally distinct yeah. and weird and funny throughout. I'm having a great time in a way that I haven't been so good at on previous tours. Yeah, I think I think um, we've both learned to let go some of the stress of of the of the day of a show and just try yeah. to enjoy it and. And arrive on stage in a in a good headspace to be silly boys. It's working. Yeah. It's working, man. You're flopping around on the ground almost every night. You're screaming at people. Yeah. We I'm had, screaming at people. We had wireless mics for the first time ever in Seattle. And I was yeah. like, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this for all it's worth. I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of my chair with the microphone. I'm gonna roll around on the stage. <laughs> we use the space. You really did. That show in Seattle was so special. I mean more of my friends and family and coworkers went to that show than any other Greatest Gen show. Yeah. And so I approached that evening with like with more stress than maybe I've ever carried into a show. And as soon as we got out on stage, standing up with those wireless mics. Yeah. I feel like I wasn't stressed at all anymore. It felt great. 
it was it was really special. It was especially special because Seattle is where we started our our touring lives. Yeah. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Look at us. Say it again. It, it just felt like we've come so far to be on a stage as big as the Neptune after our our first ever live show on a stage as little as the as the what is that called the Jewel Box? Yeah, the Rendezvous. Yeah. The Rendezvous Theater. You know, as as big as we get, Ben, we still manage to go to the same places like <laughs> Canon. Like <laughs> had to do our Canon evening yeah. in Seattle, which which hit it's, once again, it always surprisingly. Does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the law. You do a canon evening and it hits. You enjoyed a cocktail in a glass shaped like uh what like a unicorn? What was what was the big, oh, no, the big glass you had? That was a jungle bird. It was a I had a jungle bird cocktail in a in a tiki mug that looked like a, a bird from the jungle. You definitely took the prize for the best glassware of the <laughs> evening. Canon kind of specializes in, in the optimal drinking vessel yeah for their beverages and and i think that won the night yeah that was pretty fun um yeah we we've just been having a great time i i uh very few tour shows left and uh i'm yeah. a little bit sad to be almost over with it i know man you me both i just don't think there's anybody better thank you listen if uh we're not just trying to sell tickets here if uh if you're in and around atlanta or austin and you haven't bought a ticket yet, you should come to the show. It's a great time. It is. And not just for us. Friends of DeSoto are really loving it too. Yeah. We're getting we're getting very, very nice feedback from folks. Um well do you want to get into the episode about uh of Star Trek Picard that we came here to talk about today? I think that is the totality of our tour update. I think we've gotten <laughs> it all out there. Those are all the stories up to now. We've survived so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really hoping for, for better vehicle luck going forward up mm-hmm. until the end of the tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of some bad luck visiting our Star Trek Picard characters in this Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 7, Monsters. The true sovereign of nature. <clears throat> Shall we um, get back to it then? We open on a therapy session with kind of a broiling star. Doesn't look like a safe place to do this. Looks looks like an angry star that they're in orbit of. Uh, Picard in his tuxedo from the big party still. And uh, there's also a model of that broiling star on the, uh, on the table next to him. I'm probably going to be asking a lot of, is this what therapy is like style questions to you <laughs> as we go through this episode. I think maybe maybe the first question I have related to that is, is this bad therapy if the patient is asking more questions than the therapist? Because Picard <laughs> is really running this session from jump. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I will say I always uh, come to therapy in evening wear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse, right? Right. You're not know, very interesting. It's not my job to be interesting. I don't think necessarily it is. I think that if you're asking therapists your therapist questions about themselves, maybe that's yeah. bad therapy. But uh That's how you get yourself a kissy face text therapist yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> um but um yeah, I mean I, I ask my therapist questions like, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And and uh, I don't know. I, I I actually think that this is. I mean, this is dream state therapy 
also. So right, <laughs> not yeah. styled to be a hyper realistic uh, depiction of. But I didn't, uh, I didn't bump up against any of it per se. Both you and a separate friend recently told me that I have been a subject of your therapy sessions recently. <laughs> and it really tripped me out. <laughs> you talk about- So in a way, I have been attending therapy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, uh, unconsensually dragged into therapy. <laughs> <laughs> this is highly unorthodox. It's a forum to talk about whatever, man. I mean, like mm -hmm. I uh, had a therapy sesh while we were on the road and uh, yeah. I had to get like a late checkout at my hotel. It's a great excuse for a late checkout. They're like, mm, let me see. I don't know if we can quite let you leave that late. And I said, well, I need a private space for my therapy session. And they're like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, sure. You can get out at 1.30. <laughs> yeah, Seattle just gobbled that up. And wishing you good mental health. Good night, Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, they they uh they couldn't couldn't wait to help me get my mental health in a little bit better of shape. I mean, for being a dreamlike setup here, this is very familiar in a number of ways, right? There there are uh, a number of of Picard trinkets strewn on the desk behind them. Yeah, uh, Picard's therapist is dressed in a Starfleet uniform. Oh, I hated this guy's rat tail though. Yeah, kind of a what seems like an an unsorted hairstyle for him, like maybe out of code, out yeah. of employee code if you're Starfleet. <laughs> I know like the revelation about this guy at the end is the big deal, but you have so much time until then. What irritated me about him the most was the guy looks and sounds so much like Dr. Bashir for a guy who is not Dr. Bashir. Dr. Bashir, I presume? Yeah, and that first shot of him is like a three quarters from the back of his head, so yeah. you could even fool yourself into it being Dr. Bashir for a second. Does it meet with your approval? Yeah, it looks all right. I haven't seen Alexander Siddig at like cons lately, so I'm not sure exactly what he looks like now but like this guy looks like he plausibly could be him <laughs> and without looking it up i thought he might be wow uh well he is nat <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think the other thing that was pretty realistic about this is i think that really smart people like to flatter th themselves that they've uh figured themselves out a lot and how dare Picard you starts this by saying like the the guy that's afraid of enclosed spaces spends his life among the star with like a very <laughs> dramatic flourish yeah i don't remember picard ever being depicted as uh as having a uh, a phobia of enclosed spaces like this no i don't think so either Watch, there's going to be like three sound effects after that of like very specific <laughs> moments in Picard's life that we should obviously remember. I'm scared to go in this turbo lift. Not this time. It never happened. I mean, yeah, it wasn't that uh, he was stuck with those little kids in the lift. Yeah. Like Jay Gordon, and it was the kids that bothered him. It was the enclosed space. <laughs> yeah. Don't put me on a shuttle with young Wesley Crusher. I. It's yeah. not that I don't like Wesley Crusher. It's the shuttle itself. No! This is a frustrating scene for both characters, both Picard and the therapist, because, I mean, the therapist is there to do a job, and Picard is frustrated with how he's doing it. And finally, the therapist asks Picard to tell him a story. And this is... 
something I was surprised to see Picard play ball with. Yeah, I mean, they they the other thing that they bump over and don't get a lot of resolution on is the question of, is Picard more than his job? Which I thought was a question that recalled the last episode of TNG in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Like Because the answer really is no. Right. And that's another source of frustration. So this like this tell me a story thing almost feels like the therapist throwing a Hail Mary, like, hey man, like we gotta do this sesh. Mm-hmm. Like, let's fucking kill some time at the very least. Well, for your information, we've actually been here for twenty minutes, not forty. Yeah, we we obviously have nothing to talk about, so why don't we talk about something you've made up? Yeah. No any good jokes. And Picard tells a story about a queen with red hair, a queen with red hair that turns out to be his mother and the story we experience from here is told in flashback i I don't know if you uh were there with me on this i was shocked to discover his mother had red hair just because all of the flashbacks have been so shadowy and dark and like blue hued i was like wait what I felt the same way. It feels like uh, like a trap, like when someone asks you what color their eyes are. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. If I was uh, if I was dating the woman that plays uh, Picard's mom, yeah. in the flashbacks, uh, I would be getting dumped right now. She's really got that fun mom energy where she's not too precious about the chateau. Like, yeah, let's let's paint on these windows. Yeah, let's make up fun stories. She should be a teacher. The the flashbacks are young Picard with a uh, make-believe uh, Burger King crown on, and she's wearing her own crown. And she's... I want a Junior Whopper. <laughs> I want a Junior Whopper now. <laughs> I identify with the white characters in the Burger King Kids Club. The other ones seem like they're just tokens. <laughs> Why is that one sitting down all the time? (laughs) Do they do anything other than have names? I'm not really sure. (laughs) That's what happens when you live in a world where monsters are real. This is no ordinary painting, though, on these windows of, of the Chateau sunroom. Uh, things become ominous pretty fast here when uh, when when sort of the shadowy figures in the paintings become alive yeah. and attack them. They need to retreat from the sunroom, and it's a good thing they have a dungeon area to go down into. This is like, this is bad horror movie logic. Yeah. You don't go down to the dungeon, <laughs> you get out. Yeah, the dungeon, uh, they'll be nice and safe down there. Uh-huh. And young Picard's mom says, come, stay with this cask of Amontillado. I'll brick you in so that you're nice and safe. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I mean, the mother isn't safe for long. She's sort of dragged away into the dark. This is a a repetitive scene. This is a moment we've seen uh, many times before this season of her being dragged away. But the context feels different this time. In those earlier versions of this, it feels like there was a there was just a dude doing yeah, it. Yeah. It's a whole new way of looking at it now. And yeah. it does seem like in this part of the episode, like they the house was attacked and it kind of ran together in his mind with the story she was telling him as a child. After the theme, 
Rafi, Seven, and Rios are discussing their own mission, the tracking down of Jurati. Yeah. And Rafi and Seven separate from the rest of the group to to go beam away and be a part of that mission. Talum and Rios uh, talk about, you know, setting up to do this kind of techno mind meld that Talum proposed at the end of the last episode. And Rafi and Seven uh, materialize on the transporter pad of the La Serena while Rafi sort of unpacks her theory of main characterness. We're the main event. Now, Jurati and Rios, they're like a side story. Uh, <laughs> she is proposing a sort of get old together relationship with Seven and that everybody that they know are... I mean, she leaves Picard out of this. She doesn't uh, imply that Picard is a supporting character in the story of their lives. But uh, yeah, uh, I think that like that's sort of the implication overall is that they are the main characters of this show. Our pain is beautiful and tragic and everyone loves hearing about it. Absolutely. Raffi is kind of Truman showing here a little bit in a fun way. Yeah. Us tripping teenagers. I'm better at it than you. Of course. They are having a tough time with the computer because the computer is full of uh, encryption blocks and uh, this stuff looks non-human in origin. Borg's two-factor authentication has to be so annoying for your standard drone, right? Super like, annoying, yeah. I I already flashed my ocular cavity into the scanner. <laughs> now you want me to like insert my wingding of a pinky into this... <laughs> Into this weird USB port. Yeah. And then I got to look at my phone for some sort of like six digit code. I'm in range of Wi-Fi, but out of range of SMS. And that means I'm out of luck. And now I'm locked out. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is more than frustrating to Rios and those on the La Serena. It's it's bad because they are going to need this ship to survive the mission and get back to their own time. They're also going to need Picard, so Talum prepares to uh, go in, and she puts on a gadget with a pointy earpiece. I mean, this is so cartoonish. (laughs) I wish it looked like anything but this. (laughs) Because it is not like... That is very obviously a Romulan clip show device, right? It is so much bigger than it needs to be, (laughs) is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It almost looks like they maybe modeled it on somebody else's ear, and then it just didn't fit that well on her or something. It looks like, who was that? Was that Commodore O from season one with like the especially big pointy ears? Yeah. It looks like it's one of hers. Oh, man. Maybe it is. I really like the effect of... Orla Brady's eyes flashing into white and away from white. That happens a couple of times this episode, and it's a really well done effect. Yeah, it's it's cool. So uh, we go back into Picard's dream life with the therapist, and uh, uh, this is not happening in the dungeon. This is like almost like Inception, I guess you can think of that. Mm-hmm. There's being two levels to this. Like there's Picard in psychology and uh, young Picard with mom in traumatic memory and where Talum uh, materializes is not in the therapy room. It is in the dungeon. She is hyper aware. Like she is specifically herself the entire time in an interesting way. Like Mm -hmm. there is no confusion about her situation. She's making quippy 
statements about what she's seeing and feeling about Picard specifically. We're getting some like vintage TNG sound design as she creeps yeah. around these haunted hallways. And uh, yeah, it's it's real spooky, really nice, like creepy lens work. I feel like a new Trek is really down to put a weird lens on the front of a camera to get an interesting effect. So through the grates of of one of those old dungeon doors, she sees tiny Picard back there and he's just terrified waiting for his mummy to return. She's gone. He does not want to leave before she comes back and he doesn't want Talim's help. He's a smart kid. You get lost in the department store, you, you stay in one place. You don't take a stranger's hand and wander off. Sure don't. I want to stay here. <laughs> I've seen children's programming about stranger danger and I fear you. <laughs> when when Talon gets a hold of him, uh, Tiny Picard tells her that she's got to save his mother from a monster. Yeah. You can't just find her. You can't just rescue me. You've got to save her. Yeah. But uh, his mother's in another castle. <laughs> Wrong castle, idiot. <laughs> Get out of here. He may terminate your session now. Well, go on. Back to wherever it is you're hiding from yourself. Back in therapy, uh, the session is winding to a close. Picard can leave. But then the therapist has some parting words that really seem to offend him. Yeah. This is a good angry Picard episode. It really is, yeah. What pisses him off is that the therapist implies that he's done a little bit of his own research about Picard's rep, and that is uh, that really does not sit well with with Picard. And he sort of like he could have just left, but instead he kind of melts down. And now they get into the like Picard holding people at arm's length issue. Right. And what 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 that's about? Like, why why never let anybody in? Why he never plays poker with his crew? You hold everyone at arm's length. I should have done this a long time ago. Ben, I'm going to lose so much money this season because uh -huh. nothing has been more of a charade than the, than a scene like this. He's never going to say the word, is he? <laughs> he keeps using synonyms like this is not real. Or it is. It's so aggravating. You're going to have to do double or nothing for next season, I think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I will. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting, the therapist talking about like him being obsessed with virtue and like telling a story of good triumphing over evil and that being not what that story means to Picard. Like, you didn't hear act three. <laughs> That's where I say the word charade. <laughs> the banging on the door returns. This is a late motif we've experienced often on this episode. And they both seem to know what's making that sound. It's just up to Picard to give it a name. It's the Monstars. It's the Monstars from the title of the episode. A monster toker. Time to play a little basketball. <laughs> and uh, in the dungeon, it's a scary pair. There's two of them. There's the kind of ghoul-faced man that we've seen. And then there's another one with kind of a blurry face, but like horns or something coming out of the side of the head. I thought he had a jester's hat, but I think horns makes more sense. 
Yeah, it's hard to see. It's so it's so shadowy and dark. Um, yeah. The monsters are, uh, you know, one's uh, the ghoul-faced one is attacking Talum, the jester hat and or spooky bunny rabbit and or giant horns man is attacking young Picard. He's saying, I want to be let go. You can keep her, but let me go. That's the dark secret of tiny Picard. Yeah, he'll throw someone that's trying to help him out under the bus to get it to safety. That was the awful backdoor deal of Wolf 359, is that uh, (laughs) Picard was willing to give them all up. You met in battle, Wolf 359. It's almost too obvious. You could make the argument that First Contact sort of already did this, but do you think it's strange that they're going to a traumatic memory in Picard's past and not using Wolf 359 as the setting for that? Yeah, I mean, because if you're keeping score, (laughs) that's pretty hard to beat, right? (laughs) Suggesting that whatever is in this dungeon is worse. Yeah. How is that possible? Well, I think it impacts your life more when you're little and like don't have all the tools to process something, but Right. But yeah, the uh the the situation down in that dungeon getting pretty scary. Not quite Wolf 359 scary, but scary. Scary because I mean, chains are being used as garrets and stuff. Like it's Yeah. It's pretty medievally scary. Yeah. But we cut away. Teresa is arriving back at work uh with Ricardo, her son. She could not get a babysitter. And so Ricardo's coming coming to work with her again. He's really excited to see Rios. He thinks Rios rules. Hope you're up on your zero-gravity combat training. I remember it made me sick to my stomach. He's nine. Uh, Rios is less excited to see Teresa, A, because she really fucking gave him the business the last time she saw him, and B, because he does not really want her to go into the operation room and see Talum mind-melding Picard. <laughs> The idea that something she doesn't know about is happening in her free clinic, she takes great umbrage with that, as she should. The other option, I guess, would be for her to go like call the authorities, though, and, and she's clearly not down with the authorities. So uh, she eventually persuades Rios to let her in and sees the clip show device and the old man writhing on the bed. And, and Talon's zombie white eyes. She gets really freaked out. Why are you walking towards me like a serial killer? Just um, keep an open mind. What's the scariest part of what she's seeing, you think, when she opens that door? Um, she's like, that clip show device is way too big for her ear. They should have made it smaller. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but Picard is writhing. Uh, you know, Teresa finds these space gangsters doing their space gangster shit, but... Picard is also like in clear distress, despite the fact that he's unconscious. And this is like the Star Trek fight breaking out in in the dungeon in his mind. You think Rios put a catheter in? I think you'd have to, right? He's like a father to him. Even though I'm not a son to him. No! He's got to be bagged up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's an, he's an old man. You got to push fluids and then you need a place for the fluids to go. <laughs> yeah. Or that psychologist appeared in the wrong level of inception. I need to go one level higher so I can get at that urine. The, uh, 
the the true reason that Therese is horrified upon opening the door is the smell. Yeah, yeah. It smells like a like a fifteen year old cat lives in there. <laughs> fifteen year old cats love you, Ben. <laughs> Back in the dungeon, uh, the the freak who has the garret around Talon's neck talks some shit and uh, really finds out yeah. what happens when you do that to Talon. Yeah. Tell him uh, a skilled Star Trek fighter uh, starts yeah. beating up on these guys. Uh, but Picard's, uh, you know, his vital signs are not looking great and... Uh, Teresa wants to move him to a hospital and Rios is like really fighting her on that. And his, he resorts to just stomping on Mariposa's left and right to, uh, to get out of taking Picard to a hospital. Uh, he, uh, he has Raffi beam a, a light into his hands so that it can be waved over Picard's head by Teresa. I would love to see the interface that shows you like where you're transporting something because transporting something into someone's outstretched hands feels like yeah. a high degree of difficulty. I can do it. I can do it. That's pretty neat. Yeah, she does a great job. I'm better at it than you, of course. I think Rios is pretty smart here because he sees Teresa's mind kind of melting down about all this. And the way that he kind of gathers those mind pieces together and mushes them back into her head is like, hey, you're a doctor. Do doctor stuff with me. Like, I know you don't know what this piece of gear is, but you know why we need to use it, right? So, like, she's becoming instrumental to Picard's care in a way that kind of professionalizes her mind. Right. And a doctor would have to have this gear because in an emergency situation, you just, you know, fall back into your muscle memory of how you treat a patient. Right, exactly. So she's in triage mode, and that is better than my mind has melted down from seeing science fiction stuff happen in the same room that I'm in. My mind has melted from all these minds melding. <laughs> That's it. So uh, so she starts waving the light. This calms Picard down, and uh, that coincides with Hallam winning the Star Trek fight in the dungeon and calming down. Young Picard, this is when Teresa asks Rios if he's from outer space. Everybody knows the answer to this question. Don't tell me you're from outer space. No, I'm from Chile. I just work in outer space. Oh, well, I was close. He's from Iowa. He gives Kirk's answer with his own Rio spin. (laughs) Very charming. Very charming. I mean, this is like definitely fan service stuff. And this Mm -hmm. season has done kind of a lot more of this than last season of Picard did, I want to say. But I was into it. I didn't didn't think it took away from anything. It's not shoehorned in as dialogue. Like, it's very in-world, in-scene dialogue that that functions. Right. So it's less fan service than it is functional. Yeah, it worked. The weird bit of fan service is Teresa and Rios going for that pizza dinner. <laughs> you guys like Italian? Oh, food is amazing. And Rios just not knowing how to drink a beer. Yeah. Or hold a pizza box. <laughs> the timing of this season is so weird with the fact that we're touring Star Trek 4. I know. <laughs> I know. So Talon has realized that Tiny Picard actually wants this. Yeah. 
he like he feels safe in this danger the sameness of the danger i guess right i mean that's pretty heavy right like the uh like the the familiarity of the danger is preferable to the unfamiliarity of potentially resolving the danger we talk about this all the time like uh you people have bad haircuts for years <laughs> because they don't want to risk anything new yeah yeah they don't want to risk getting bangs <laughs> Talon's like, no way, little dude. We're getting you out of this place. And she kicks open a door that they both walk through together, hand in hand. How much did you jump on the couch when Orla Brady did the high kick at the door? Big time. (laughs) I've got a crush on you. (laughs) You're weirdly my type. (laughs) You'll always be my type. I can't wait till I'm 18. (laughs) It's weird. Holding your hand right now is as far as I'll ever get. (laughs) (laughs) On the La Serena, Seven and Raffi uh, figure out what's going on with Gerardi. They find footage of her queening up the ship, adding green graphics to all of the gray and red graphics on all the ship's uh, computers. Right. So that's a, a bit of a smoking gun. Gerardi is queening. That exterior shot tells us that the ship isn't cloaked anymore. And I mean, it's a good thing all scenes involving the La Serena are at night. <laughs> Otherwise, I would feel like they are in big danger of being discovered, right? Yeah, like an overpassing airplane or a TGV train that goes by is just going to see that thing. Just how off of the grid is the chateau? I don't know. I've never been to La Bar. I don't know. I don't know how sparsely populated it is. Yeah. So back in the dungeon, old Picard shows up. So he meets up with Talon and his younger self. And this is the big bombshell scene, right? Yeah. The the psychologist is I mean, this is probably the most unrealistic part of the therapy depiction is that you would never want your dad to be your therapist. I told you not to go running off to that academy. Father, why couldn't you have listened? Did Picard just not recognize him in the earlier scenes or did he choose now to address him as as his true identity? The implication is that Picard's father died young. Yeah, like he never knew him. Right. He wouldn't recognize him. Right, if uh, if he was like a little kid when when his father died, so I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it also also sort of feels like dream logic, where it's like yeah. it was you, but it didn't look like you, but I knew it was you. You ruined her. You broke her. After all these years, you managed to disappoint me, Jean Luc. The scene that really ties the whole season together regarding what's going on in Picard's mind is he and his mother, you know, fleeing the monster that we saw earlier. And in fleeing that monster, Picard gets stuck in some floorboards. Yeah. And it turns out that they're being chased by his father, but not because the father is wishing harm on them. It's because Picard's mother is unwell mentally and unstable and potentially dangerous to everyone. Like maybe schizophrenic or something similar and unwilling to engage with any kind of clinical help for what she's going through. So when Picard's father intervenes, 
young Picard interprets those as attacks when it's really like him trying to prevent her from harming herself. I thought this was really, really well done and nuanced because like whether or not you've you're a child of divorce personally, or you have friends that have gone through it, or you you know kids who have been in households where uh, where there's been abuse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the framework of a child's perception in those moments is so like I I'm gonna say strange, but I don't mean that negatively. And that I think an adult's fear for what their children go through when they divorce or something. Yeah is totally valid because like I've got some friends who are going through a traumatic divorce right now and their their little kid is like what they fear their child is perceiving about what's happening they have no control over. Right. Right. Any childhood drama looks really different in retrospect when you like take the time to look back at it carefully and I th- I I thought they did such a good job of showing moments of Picard's mom like from childhood perspective and from adult perspective because yeah. they, they do feel like the same scene just kind of seen from two feet of difference in camera height <laughs> yeah you know? yeah but I couldn't say for either not from her own mind perhaps I never really knew you uh, it's uh it's really intense and and not really where I thought it was going. Like the beginning of the season, I was really worried that they were going to make Picard's father just like an abusive monster and that yeah. he like the trauma would have been it it definitely seemed like they were painting the the picture in a in a direction that was slightly different from what it wound up being. But do you think that kind of sleight of hand with how they tell this story makes that better or worse because I didn't want to live as long as I did in the Picard as Bruce Wayne childhood you know like if that didn't end up being true why was I thinking about it for three episodes like yeah you you don't have to give me the answers right away but that I lived with the wrong answer for so long just seems kind of unfair yeah that we were like being dangled out over that abyss uh yeah was was uncomfortable yeah, but I think that the other thing that is really well done in this episode is that turning to, at the end of this scene into, like, this is both what makes Picard a person that kind of keeps people at arm's length, but also part of what makes him Picard. And when Talim is talking about, like, oh, you this pain served you, ultimately. Like, you, you know, you live with pain, but you also saved worlds with that pain is I am not disappointed in that as a like I've talked a lot about how like one of the things I love about Picard is that he he does not appear to be a haunted man and he's not uh you know in in TNG anyways like he's not constantly you know living in the shadow of his past trauma but um if you, if you are going to write something like that into his character writing it into it in a way that validates the character that we got to know him as rather than kind of erasing it so that you can make a new story uh, is the way to go, I think. And I think they did a good job with that. I mean, it sure does nudge him closer to being more like Kirk than different in that way. You know, Mm -hmm. like I definitely thought a lot about 
Cybok and Kirk's relationship when I saw the scenes between the elder Picard and Jean-Luc. Yeah. And the utility of the pain as articulated by Jean-Luc. It's a, it's a really intense moment. We're making you face your pain and draw strength from it. You don't know. Once that's done, fear cannot stop you. I, I wonder if this scene was originally slated to happen earlier in the season or something. Yeah. Um, I think that that's you make a great point that it like <laughs> felt like maybe the sleight of hand lasted too long. But yeah, it's it's uh it is quite a moment and it ends. There's a button on this moment, which is that young Picard has like a crazy key and we are left almost on a cliffhanger, as Talum says, like there's more to this than just right just what we uncovered here. This is not a resolution to that sub story happening there. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Wait, there's more to this, isn't there? As he turns to open the door, Picard comes out of his slumber in the uh, in the clinic. I slowed down this scene as the door opened, Ben, and you can see just like file cabinet after file cabinet of tax documents. <laughs> Sort of like the Matrix, how how oh, yeah. like those rows and rows zoom by. I it's was, like that amount. I was thinking like the uh, the warehouse at the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That would be Picard's <laughs> interest. Like those would be Picard's tabs because uh, he's so interested in archaeology, right? <laughs> right? This is third dynasty. Is that your conclusion, Mr. Picard? Uh, forgive me again. Knock on my door! Knock next time! Nothing more erotic than a dusty crate. <laughs> I've got this priceless artifact on my desk that I fill up with my seed. <laughs> <laughs> the Horgon is oh my God. a symbol of sexuality. Do you seek Jamaharan? Did you see anything? No, sir. It's a fertility artifact. It's appropriate. <laughs> Elsewhere, back at the... <laughs> Back at the free clinic, Rios and Teresa's kid are drawing on the wall of the lobby area, and this would piss me off so bad (laughs) if I were Teresa. What are you doing? This is something I got in such trouble for as a kid, was drawing on walls. Yeah. Oh, boy, I got in trouble for that. (laughs) Did you do it a lot? A couple of times. Wow. (laughs) And then I drew on my brother's wall when I got in trouble for drawing on my own. (laughs) <laughs> that's some real bad big brother shit right there. Yeah, that's uh that's diabolical. One of my best yeah. buddies from uh from college, when I met him, I went into his dorm room and he had drawn maybe four feet tall, two portraits on the wall overlooking his bed in his dorm room, one of John Goodman and one of Alf. Has the whole world gone crazy! Oh my god. Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? And I was like, I'm going to be friends with this guy. (laughs) He just drew it in like pencil right on the wall. If you gave me 10,000 guesses, (laughs) I don't know that I could have gotten both of those together. Like, like eventually you lock in John Goodman probably after just naming actors. (laughs) But after how many guesses would you have burned on that side before you finally get to Alf on the other? Yeah, yeah. It was It uh, seems mathematically impossible to to do that kind of trivia. They were they were also perfect photorealistic <laughs> pencil drawings. Like just I wish I had a photo of them. They were so good. Professor, this is an incredible find. I'd like to see a sexual partner come in this dorm room. <laughs> Yeah, it's were, not gonna happen. Almost never saw a uh, gym sock hanging from the door handle of that particular yeah. dorm room. 
<laughs> you just try to get over the hump in this. <laughs> so Rios actually cops to something that I think we've suspected uh, the whole time is that uh, is that Picard has kind of been a father figure to him all along, and yeah. then Rios smashes all the butterflies. Yeah, by beaming them both to the La Serena for some reason. Like this is this is a seduction technique, right? This is the I drive a cool car oh. brand of seduction. Oh, absolutely. And would you like to come see it? And it fucking works. It absolutely works. Basements are flooded. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ricardo is is bugging out. He's going to find the missile control or whatever. I'm going to go touch everything. I'm better at it than you. Teresa is smart. She's like, "So is this like an RV and you're not allowed to shit in the toilets here?" <laughs> Rios is like, "Nah." They beam it out of you. <laughs> this is great for Rios also because Rafi and Seven have left the ship, so he's got the space yeah. to himself. Yeah. And uh, Rafi- he's, he's hung a confederation sock <laughs> on the on the doorknob. <laughs> Rafi and Seven are back in Los Angeles and they've found some surveillance footage of Gerardi in her red dress from the big party walking into a bar that has live music. The performer on stage there appears to be Patrick Stewart's wife, Sonny Ozell. Oh, really? Whoa. I'm almost positive that's her. She uh, she really gets a moment, so that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, you always wonder about that in movies and TV shows when the when the performer on stage like gets a little extra camera time. Yeah. We watched that yeah. movie um, Deep Water the other night and like one of the million parties that Ben Affleck and his wife go to in that movie has live music and like the camera keeps cutting back to the singer on stage in a way that's like, okay, like yeah. is, who is that? Is that uh-huh. <laughs> must be related to the first AD or something. This is a very Terminator 2 like scene when Gerardi walks into this bar. It's so difficult to divorce my mind from that moment. Yeah, she's T2-ing, and she uh, she goes up to a window and just smashes it. This is very attractive to the red beard that she made eye contact with earlier. That's a girl that I'd like to get to know better. <laughs> Boy, so, would I love her to smash all the windows in my life. So do you uh, come here often? <laughs> <laughs> What's a window smashy babe like you doing in a bar like this? <laughs> Just imagine what she could do to a man's heart. <laughs> so this uh, this information. Hey, is that the broken glass from the theme song? Mm, they knew about that in season one. It's the bar window. Wow. <laughs> These shards travel through history and time. Yeah. Keep safe and keep me informed. I've got something here to take care of. Back at the free clinic, uh, Picard is putting his clothes back on. A clean pair of clothes, hopefully, after what he did mm. on the exam table. Yeah, they wrote something in about we uh, we took some stuff out of the lost and found. Hope that's okay. So, <laughs> Yeah. Talon tells him, uh, again, like I think away from camera, that Renee is okay. It feels like a lot of the Renee story... Is dialogue delivered away from camera? Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, she also 
does that thing that you you can tell a girl is into you if she's touching her her hair and revealing her rom ears a lot when she's around you. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good sign for Picard. Do do we think that she and Laris are one and the same and that Laris is a watcher for Picard? I mean, if Laris is a watcher for Picard, she's done a terrible job. Yeah. What was she doing hanging with Jaban the entire time? Yeah. I don't know. She revealed herself to Picard and then hung out with him and then was hitting on him? That's not what watchers are supposed to do. This is, I mean, I may change my mind by the end of the season, but this is a moment that I wish didn't happen. Wow. Like, I wish we knew less about uh, Talon. I wish I wish Talon was something different than a Romulan, you know? Hmm. But I think this is, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be a reason why she is. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But again, Picard totally incurious about like whether or not her Romulanness does mean that she is a relation to Laris and yeah. what that could mean. Romulan, you could be an ancestor. If she like lives forever and wants to, you know, reconnects with Picard after a thousand years or whatever. Are you or aren't you? I <laughs> guess I don't care. <laughs> Picard's just ready to to put the whole experience behind him. Like, yeah. uh, Talon is like, hey, I was really up in there, like, pretty deep. I know a lot of uh, fucked up shit about you. You're going to be walking with a mental limp for a little while. Just want to make sure you're cool. Yeah, I, I pressed pause also and saw the tax documents folders, so. But classic Picard is like, no, I'm fine. Like, on with the mission. They talk about what it all means, though. Like, he can't just brush it away. Like, there's a reason why Picard's been forced to go in, into the past and why Q wants him to face this thing. And what they arrive at together is that this may be a moment of weakness for Q that they can exploit. Like, right. Q's need for Picard to do this might provide them some leverage it's that they don't quite understand at this point. It seems weirdly personal that, uh, yeah. that after all these years, Q is still obsessed with Picard. And so they're like, okay, like, let's just get it from the horse's mouth. Let's talk to Q himself. How do we find him? Picard's like, oh, I, I do it all the time. I just, I just address the sky. Come on, Q. <laughs> Show yourself. I'm God. You are not God. Blasphemy. That doesn't work. So plan B. Plan G, let's go ask Guinan. There it is. This is something that Talon does not come along for the ride on. She and Guinan famously do not get along. Right. We'd have not gotten the backstory on that. We've not gone to Talon's mental dungeon to find out what the traumatic memory is there. No, and, and I guess it's a relief that Guinan is even still here because the last time we saw her, Picard was was begging her to stick around. Yeah. And to not leave in her awesome Bronco. Seems like uh, packing up the bar is taking a lot longer than expected and or she's changed her mind. Hey, listen, guys, we needed an exterior shot of 10 forward that showed the cool Bronco. All right. Yeah. What the fuck? Why are you holding back on us? <sighs> like, I understand that she parks it around the corner. Sure. She can't park it in the alley itself. 
Right. Maybe there's no parking in the alley or maybe she doesn't want the cool Bronco to become associated with the bar so that if somebody gets kicked out, they don't take it out on her car. All good reasons. But we we needed to see the cool Bronco again. That's part of why we show up for this show. (laughs) Sounds simple enough. Guinan explains that Elarians and the Q Continuum struck a truce at one point. And that truce is a moment that was contained inside a liquor bottle. Is this, am I explaining it right? That's what I get out of this. Am I making any sense here? And Guinan owns that liquor bottle? Is there more than one? Is it like symbolic of that moment? I might not keep the bottle in the speed well if I'm, <laughs> if I'm Guinan, because if just anyone took this thing, yeah. I mean, when Guinan takes the shot, it really kicks. Yeah, this is like blue label, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is hot, high-proof stuff. Yeah, and uh, it's like smashing glasses. It's causing tables and chairs to fly around the room. This is like when your father-in-law takes a shot of tequila at a family Mexican restaurant. <laughs> this is almost exactly what happens. Yeah, and then she goes, <clears throat> smooth. Perhaps something stronger. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted so bad when they cut outside for Raffi and Seven to like experience the wind that oh, blows by or yeah. something. And everybody walking around going like, was that an earthquake? Let's check Twitter to get like <laughs> yeah. 15 minutes of the most annoying tweets. But as it is, uh, Guinan and Picard are confused because usually taking a shot like that works to yeah. summon the queue. It didn't work. I don't understand. I'm better at it than you. Instead, they're they're like standing there kind of talking about like, wow, like really sucks when you uh, break that much glassware and Q doesn't even show up to make it worth it. Outside the bar, Rafi and Seven do not feel the windstorm of Guinan's shot. Crucially, they're outside a different bar. Yeah. <laughs> the one that Girardi smashed the window at. Yeah, and... And the footage, what what Seven realizes from the footage is that the like the window smashing was all about getting the uh, getting the blood pumping, getting the uh, endorphs going. So uh, they're gonna they're gonna need to figure out where the fuck she is. It's so messed up to be the bar owner of this place. Like she could have smashed any windows on the street on her way there. Yeah, she had to choose that one. It's scary because what what. The way Seven puts it is, we're witnessing the birth of a new queen. If she can get the endorphins whipped up like this, yeah. uh, whatever is inside Gerardi can can fully take over. And we may have just introduced a Borg's queen to a totally vulnerable Earth that is not going to be able to withstand her. I mean, we may also have introduced the Borg queen to uh, just a really nice man with a red beard. Yeah, maybe... Like- Maybe that's all the board queen ever needed. He, you know, he just got divorced and he's trying to make a fresh start. Yeah. He thought, with a really interesting person. It was like thinking he might just stay at his apartment and wallow in the grief over his old relationship. But he was like, no, yeah. man, I got to get out there. He's you know, like, I like playing pool. It's like one of my passions that I kind of had to set aside when things were going downhill with my wife. Maybe you'll see some live music. You know, shoot a couple of games, have a beer or two, and just see where my night takes me, man. You know what? I'm going to say yes tonight. (laughs) I'm going to say yes to all the possibilities. (laughs) And uh, I really worry about that guy now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, 
no one fucks like crazy. Yeah. And <laughs> and the, you know the board queen fucks like crazy. Now that she's got a lower half, she's going to go yeah. fucking ham. <laughs> she's going to take full advantage of the new lower half. Are you familiar with physical forms of pleasure? Back at 10 forward, a not Q comes down the stairs. It's just a man. Just a man and a... And a suit he bought in the 90s, <laughs> walking down the stairs. And he seems neat. I like his whole deal. Yeah, he uh, doesn't really take no for an answer when Guinan tells him that the bar is closed. So she pours him the glass of white wine that she surmises is what he wants deep in his heart of hearts. And uh, and he really just wants to talk. He's a, uh, I mean... He's the kind of uh, kind of person that sits next to you on a flight that is a nightmare for people like me. Yeah, I mean, he's someone for whom the AirPods are self-defense AirPods. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to talk about sci-fi. He wants to talk about uh, how much he loves uh, the future. How much- he's the guy you accidentally tell that you have a podcast and then they have to tell you everything they know about podcasts, which is not that much. (laughs) Or that they aren't really into Star Trek, but more into Star Wars. Yeah. And that they've always thought about doing a podcast of their own. I I sat next to a guy on a flight on tour who told me about how he also has a podcast. And I was like, oh, man. Oh, no. (laughs) How do I get out of this shit? I I didn't even want to talk to you, and now I've told you I have a podcast, and you've told me you have a podcast. This couldn't be going worse. <laughs> you broke the main rule about greatest generation, greatest discovery. Yeah, it's it's the it's the embarrassment. Yeah. we need to we need to maintain our embarrassment vigilance and not share with strangers what it is we're doing. It should have been fresh in my mind because I had just come off of going through TSA with challenge coins and had the TSA agent go, uh, double dumbass tour, huh? Who are the dumbasses? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I guess I'm one of them. Double dumbass on you. (laughs) Anyways, this guy has footage on his phone of Picard transporting, uh, into Los Angeles. And, uh, he also has a wallet with a badge and an FBI identification in it and a bunch of friends with guns and FBI jackets. Hey, Guinan, you did great identifying what this guy's drink order should be, mm-hmm. but kind of a huge blind spot <laughs> when you're reading him as a person. Do you think that she also has that crazy Guinan gun and that the shotgun is something that she just was closer? Like... The, the, the Grand Theft Auto version of this scene is Guinan going five stars right away and just blowing away a fed. Yikes. Come on, get in the Bronco. There will be a second totally unbelievable Bronco chase in Los Angeles. Why are there police cruisers jumping off of rooftops at me? <laughs> wow, super surprising end, Ben, but... Was it a super impressive episode to you? I really liked this episode. I uh, I could feel episode where we go into dream space coming. Mm-hmm. Like in the last episode, like that was definitely where I kind of thought this one 
would spend a lot of its time. And that mm-hmm. prediction came true. And I was worried about it. I was worried that it would be corny or just, you know, like I think that it is really easy to misuse dream logic. I mean, you're talking about generally, but remember how specifically bad Star Trek treats dream sequences. And I'm thinking of all the ones in TNG. Like, yeah. I mean, good for their time, but bad retrospectively. Like, this is not a show that's had a great handle on those depictions. Right. And I was worried that it would be that. And I was yeah. uh, not sure how they were going to do it in a... And, and and the way that they wound up doing it, I feel like both used dream logic well and also helped us understand Picard in a in a new way like if if it is dream logic as part of character sketch i think it kind of succeeds on both sides of that construction it's also it also uses time really interestingly like the footage of gerardi that seven and raffi look at being in the past but then like they're like updating picard on it over the communicators later Mm -hmm. like in the present and like all of this kind of took place over the course of a night and a morning, but we see like events that happen on either side of it is really interesting. I'd say that the one thing that this episode was really missing for me is a Corey update because like it really ended with Corey and Dr. Soong story stuff on a cliffhanger and it's like <laughs> it felt right. absolutely insane to get like no stuff about that in this one. Yeah, interesting skip. Yeah. of a pretty big storyline this season. Yeah. How about you? I mean, I'm with you about the quality of the dream sequences being what they are. But, I mean, an essential quality of new Star Trek is really taking a straight line and twisting it all up, right? I wonder how much confidence a writer has in the backstory of Picard if there is the need to cover it up with a with a bunch of dream sequences and stuff. Hmm. Like, ultimately, Picard's childhood story is of a mother with a mental disorder. Yeah. But that very relatable story is told in a very fantastic way. And I just wonder if you need all of the obfuscation. You know, this is this is three or four episodes to get to what's really happening there. Like I'm asking questions that I can't answer myself though. You know, like I, I like how they did it, but I'm not convinced of the necessity of the choices made in, in the depiction, you know? Yeah. Like we have the benefit of seeing most of television from the standpoint of a reliable narrator. And like Mm -hmm. the way you interpret your childhood does not always align with the objective truth of your childhood. And and so, like, I kind of think that that's what they're going for, is, like, what his child mind interpreted as what was going on needed to be reevaluated from a an adult standpoint. But, yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's hard work to do. And I thought that that was effective, but I kind of agree with you that maybe it, it felt like they, they stretched the taffy longer in the season than was necessary. I mean, this is not just a Star Trek Picard season two issue. This is like a way that new Star Trek builds stories yeah. and, and, and stretches them throughout a season. So, I mean, this is a quality of modern television, 
Yeah. Also, like I'm not singling out Star Trek for doing this. This is this is just a it's strange to experience a television franchise forced through the the Play-Doh machine of modern <laughs> television story making. Yeah. And that may be like the reason for the discomfort. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I mean, this is what Every modern TV series does what this is. It's just weird to see characters that we've known for 30 years go through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird uh, characters that were originally written by people that weren't in therapy then get put in the hands of people that are in therapy and are like thinking about the way the world works through that very specific lens. Well, one lens that we need to look into, Ben, is the priority one lens. It's a prism. <laughs> And I think we've got some messages over there. What do you say we read them? I would love that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Zach Brager. Hey. The Zach Brager. And it is to Adam and Ben, or Ben and Adam. The message goes like this. To be clear, when I'm disappointed there isn't a live show... In SLC, I'm not disappointed in you guys. I'm disappointed <laughs> in the lack of representation here in Utah. We got to step it up. <laughs> Adam's bit, RE being the official LDSST show, gave me an idea for making Uxbridge Shimoda pass along cards just to leave places. <laughs> Is that a good idea? Guess I'll find out. <laughs> you know what? If someone if someone visited my doorstep mm -hmm. with some good news about Star Trek podcasting, uh -huh. that'd yeah. be pretty nice. That's better than sitting next to somebody on an airplane that has good news about Star Trek podcasting. I'll tell you what. <laughs> much, much better. Uh -huh. We are terrible evangelists of our yeah of our own cult, right? Yeah. No, we're uh, we're not good at it. I mean. Uh, <laughs> Zach, you would not be the first person to print cards. We actually have guys in Vegas that stand on the strip and do this with, yeah. with cards about our show. But that's like the one place that we invest in getting the word out. The first time I met Bill Tilly, he was passing out cards in Vegas. And that's <laughs> that's how I convinced him to change his career, start yeah. making Star Trek cards. There you go. <laughs> Adam, our next Priority One message is from Andrew at ABOM 1980-11. And it's to Ben and Adam. It goes like this. This message is simply a thank you to the hosts. You've been a part of my commute since 2017, and I write this fresh off the Milwaukee Double Dumbass Tour. Fresh. That show was better than I expected, and my expectations <laughs> were high. Wow. Can't wait. That was, that was a fun show. That was a fun show. Can't wait till you're back in the area. Thank you and all who put your shows together for your work. I was about to say something about that show, and then I realized I can't. I can't <laughs> because I don't want to give anything away about yeah. what might happen in future shows. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to spoil anything. I mean, everything is material until until the yeah. tour is over. Yeah, uh, Milwaukee, special place in my heart. Always hope to go back there. Yeah, on tour. Thanks for coming out, Andrew. One of the smaller venues we played on this tour so far, but also like a really cool venue because it's in a mm -hmm. it's in a coffee shop that can be kind of reconfigured to be a performance space, but like a really nicely set up performance space, and they do it right there. It's really comfy. One of the best backstage areas in the game, right there too. Oh, yeah super super solid um <laughs> find yourself a place to do a show that specializes in coffee and alcohol and and uh and beautiful monsterat plants like yeah 
like it's a chain coffee shop there that apparently has somebody on the payroll who is the monster rat plant keeper and they yeah. go around from store to store and like maintain these like gorgeous gorgeous plantings they have everywhere really their cool. hospitality person got a spotted cow it's where you had your first spotted cow ben that's true and i enjoyed it it was good it was good all right. Well, if you'd like to leave us a priority one message, uh, please head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron and set it up. Uh, whether your name is Zach Brager or not, you know. <laughs> hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin. Mm, I'm going to give it to psychologist daddy for that haircut. <laughs> Like the the psychology business in the front, uh, <laughs> dirtbag party in the rear. Oh God! Thing that he had going on, like you don't notice it until like halfway through the episode when you get like a profile shot of him, and you're like, oh man, what is going on back there? Is it supposed to be period appropriate hair? I don't like, know. Is that what they're trying to do here, or did they bring in the actor and they're like, no, like. We have makeup time, not hair time. <laughs> your COVID hair will have to do. <laughs> this is what happens when you miss your call time, yeah. Mister. Yeah, yeah. You could have, you could have gotten a free haircut and gotten paid for the day. <laughs> Blew it. I liked his performance. I did too. I thought it, I, I, I mean, I thought that everything else about the character was great. I'm just, I'm just dunking on that funny haircut. Yeah. How about you? I mean, we see. Red beard guy, much like we see the the performer on stage, like we we get an angle, and yeah. so I'm like, God, I hope he's all right. <laughs> and I wanna, and I almost want to give a presumptive Edward Larkin to him, because <laughs> my head cannon is is he shoots his shot. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he sees her break the window and is like, Oh, you know, um, she's with me. Stick it on my tab. We're gonna go down the street or whatever. Like, like, he's he's attracted. Yeah. But does he go through with the attraction after the window break? Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that he does. Wow. And I think that's what makes him my Edward Larkin. Wow. <laughs> you're uh, you're putting it all on Redbeard. I am. Redbeard and red dress make a a handsome couple. Really do. Next week is going to be the first uh, episode of the Max Fun Drive, and uh, we really hope you, you're ready to support the greatest discovery and the greatest generation with a small monthly membership. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. That starts next week. Get get excited. That's right. Uh, be ready to double tap our shows. <laughs> In the meantime, here are some credits and some information about next week's episode. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network, hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and produced by Windy Pretty. This episode was edited by Colin Ketchen. The next episode of Star Trek Picard is titled Mercy. With time running out before the launch of the Europa mission, Picard and Guinan must free themselves from FBI custody. Seven and Rafi come face to face with Gerardi and the horror of what she's become. The original music for this show is by Adam Ragusia, whom you can also find on his popular YouTube cooking channel. As always, big thanks to the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who manages our social media accounts at Greatest Trek on Twitter and Instagram. 
Follow us there and use the hashtag greatestdiscovery to chat about the show with other FODs. The Max Fun Drive starts next week. Tune in to next week's episode to hear from Ben and Adam about all the ways you can support the show and cool incentives to join the Max Fun family. Of course, you can always offer your financial support by purchasing a P1 at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron or by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Your support makes the show possible and we can't thank you enough. That's all for now. We'll see you again next week with new episodes of Star Trek Picard and The Greatest Discovery. that fucked up thing on reddit a couple years ago that shoebox what was it called it was just a shoebox that (laughs) a guy (laughs) spilled the seed into it's like that yeah (laughs) maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported